As we continue our studies in the Gospel of John, we are in chapter 4 this morning, and we have another encounter that Jesus is uh, meeting several different people, but John is very choosy when it comes to what to show us and include in us. And once again, uh, uh, as the the writer of the gospel, and as an evangelist, unlike the synoptic gospel, he is very deliberate in his approach. And then first, the half of the, um, the gospel is continually revealing the signs that validates who Jesus really is, depicting a fuller picture of who Jesus is, including today. And today, unlike chapter 3, Nicodemus uh, is a very contrasting figure. And we don't even have the name because she was an identified woman we only know as a Samaritan woman or woman at the well. So let's, before we read the context, uh, the text itself, let's uh, try to have an overview of this contest, uh, contrast. Nicodemus was Jew and Samaritan, she was a Samaritan. And obviously the word Samaritan was like a curse word for Jews. Between, between Jews and Samaritans were their enmity over the, over the years because of um, the historical background of that. And I'll, I'll share a little more about why this is so, but just know that for now, Samaritans were despised by the Jews. And even today's text, there is no dealing with Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans. So think of any ethnic group in your mind that you have seemed to have a hard time being in fellowship together. It's uncomfortable for you. In time, several times, that will be the, the relational thing. He was also a man versus she's a woman. And historically, in iniquity, um, obviously the women are looked down upon and there was no equal rights. Uh, and we should think about the, the implication on that as well. Secondly, Nicodemus was a very well-known ruler a member of Sanhedrin. Uh, Sanhedrin was a 70 elders, including the high priest, 71 member. And our equivalent of today in our nation would be the Senate. So he was well-known ruler. She was an identified, nameless, unknown person. Thirdly, Nicodemus was an upright Pharisee, 
The Pharisee name itself is one of the most devoted um, law-keeping religious group of people. The name Pharisee is already depicted in a picture that just a high morally, morally high upright person. But she was known as a notorious sinner. We'll, we'll expose her sin uh, in, in the story a little bit. And fourth and lastly, Nicodemus was respected as the teacher, the teacher of Israel. In other words, recognized teacher. Not a one, one of the teachers, but it, with the big T in terms of, oh, he is recognized, you know, in our terminology, one of the well-known professors in religion. But she was despised as the sleazy townswoman who's been married for five times. And who's living with a man who's not a, her husband? And the question that we're asking is that as John introduced this encounter and this narrative, his purpose is giving us the fuller picture of Jesus again. So keep that in mind as I am reading the text, taking the time. What can we learn about Jesus? What are the key lessons? John chapter 1, I'm um, chapter 4, verse 1 through 26. Uh, it, this story goes all, all the way up to verse, verse 42. Um, but next Sunday, we will meditate on the remainder of the, of the story, 27 through 42, beginning with verse 1 today. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. The Jewish time starts at 6 a.m., so the third hour will be 9 a.m. Sixth hour is high noon. In the heat of the day, in other words. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that 
is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks, from, from, drinks of this water will be thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman said, answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. You already get a clear sense of drastic difference of this encounter from the encounter with Nicodemus. But in spite of the difference, the high official, unknown person, the highly moral person, very, very immoral, uh, sexually loose person, and the man and woman, But Jesus seems to have same intensity of concern for both of them. And the good news as we start, wherever you are coming from, in your background, in your in your what kind of week you might have, and Jesus' concern 
and attentive to each one of us is the same. The question that I like to ask as we draw the lesson from here, what do you learn about Jesus? What does this story and John's narrative reveal about Jesus? There are at least four the lessons that I'm drawing. Here's first lesson. Lesson number one, Jesus has a radical love and compassion for those who are broken as well as for those who seem to have it all together. Oh, I think this is a cold water splash all over the evangelical world in America today. Because in some sense, um, the Christianity and the Christian culture that drifted away from Scripture and authentic Jesus is a type of Christianity is only for the safe insiders, the people who are stable and settled, and the type of people that who look like Christian externally. And for example, when you go to um, Central LA or Compton, or even even some of those middle cities at area that you get really scared just looking at the town itself and different ethnicity. But when you go to more south, and not only in Tustin, Santa Ana, or in Irvine and South Orange County, seems so settled, the people look so much attractive in some sense, they're settled and they're taxpayers, they seem to not really uh, look like a criminal, although there are so, so many different kinds of criminal go activity going on in Irvine. And my pastor friend who's a um, chaplain in Irvine police, he tells, shares his horrendous stories in Irvine. So-called known as the safest city in, in the United States. Ranking one a lot of times, right? Does Jesus care for the homeless? Does Jesus care for the marginalized? Does Jesus care for the, the people who look like terrorists? Middle Eastern people who are screened on airports? What about they don't think like us? and They seem to have all these records Dirty laundry is behind them. The flipping the you know, table, when you think about when you are most ready to approach the throne of grace, throne of God, and come to church, I cleaned up my act, and I'm, I'm, I'm now in the right view of God. God sees me as clean and, and pure. I come... And I belong to this believing community, faith community. And that's the most time, most dangerous time.
where you and I need to be in. And think about, think about this Samaritan woman. We don't have to be cultural archaeologists to know all the details. Anthropologists will tell us the, all these different cues. But just by having general sense, we know that this woman is troubled woman. Why? Because in the heat of desert, no one comes out high noon to draw water. And it's a common sense. The women tend to come to the well together for safety, for traveling, for conversation. That's when the, all kinds of information change is going on as well. Either in the morning, around 9 o'clock, 8, 9, even before that, or after sun goes down. But here... This woman comes out high noon and all by herself. Because of shame. Because of finger waggering. Because of the, the eyes. The people, the, the kind of slanted eyes that she gets every time when she walks in the village. Judea and Jerusalem is right here. And Galilee is up here. And then Samaria is in the middle. And obviously you need to go through this. But because the Jews despised the Samaritans so much, they took the long way around through the Jordan Valley, obviously it takes much longer, much dif- more difficult. And when Jesus felt the heat of Pharisees' jealousy, and his time has not come yet, meaning it's not time for him to go to the Calvary, the cross yet. So he's going back to his city, in Galilee, and through through. Jerusalem and Judea, and he decided to go through, right through it. And she, uh, Jesus meets this person. Strike number one, he, she's a Samaritan. Strike number two, she's a woman. Should, the, any Jewish man didn't even have a personal one-to-one conversation in public with a woman. And then strike number three, she was a known sinner. And just the fact that she comes out all by herself was something wrong about this person. Who is Sumerian? Sumerians are half-breeds. You remember the, uh, after King David and Solomon, kingdom was divided into northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, southern kingdom, was the David and the temple in Jerusalem. All that went, went on. But when 722 B.C., when northern kingdom Israel was fallen by Assyrians, some were taken to Assyria, and some were left there, but the Assyrians came, and they have an intermarriage going on. And because it was already around 
400, time, 400 B.C., the northern kingdom people, because of jealousy of what David is doing, and they decide to have a center of worship in Mount Jerusalem. So this is the place to worship. And back then, it used to be Shiloh. And then King David made Jerusalem headquarter. And the kingdom was built by Solomon. And from then on, the Jerusalem was the holy place, the city of God. And there you should worship. Was that the, the southern people's contention. And all throughout the, the Old Testament, that story expands. But because of the Samarian, Samaritans have chosen to believe only the first five books of Moses. Why? Prophets and other things were all, all about King David and Jerusalem. And then they chose the different place of worship. So obviously, the enmity between the Jews and Samaritans were continuing to this context. And nevertheless, Jesus wasn't reluctant. Jesus was showing his radical love and compassion for the woman. I wonder if we take the picture again when I said the most dangerous time is the time that we feel like we're most ready to worship God. There's a sense of self-righteousness. And then and I, I think I'm worthy to be accepted by God. Is it prophet Isaiah calls our own righteousness, your, your righteousness, your self-righteousness is like a filthy rag. Dirty rag. And the literal translation is actually the woman's temper after use. It's a, you have to throw it, you have to clean up well because of germs and everything. That was our own self-righteousness in the sight of God. And God have mercy on us. If we have any sense of superiority because we are Christians, because we are living in Orange County, because we belong to this nice church and building. But at the same time, God have mercy on us. Our skewed view is that when we are broken, when we are beaten down over self-condemnation, when the shame follows us, and when you hit the rock bottom, whatever the problem might be, Jesus pursues us with radical love and compassion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For there is the kingdom of God. They are the ones that God wants to dwell with. Him. 
Lesson number two, Jesus give, gives the living water that quenches the thirst that only God can satisfy. Verse 13 through 15, I think we should read this. Jesus said to her, Everyone drinks of this water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. There are several things going on here. Number one, um, Jesus gives the living water only God can give. This is a divinity of Jesus. Jesus was God. Jesus can do only what God can do. Jesus can do what God only can do. He knew her life inside out, her heart, her knees, why she's so broken. But at the same time, the previous passage we just read, Jesus was weary, hungry, and thirsty, sending his disciples to get by lunch. And he is sitting at the well because he's thirsty. A woman comes. And he's saying, give me a drink. Is that te to teach a special lesson? Yes and no. He was literally thirsty in the heat of desert. Think about the long journey. And Jesus is a uniquely God-man, fully human and fully divine. But what John describes here, the incarnate word is fully portrayed in the real world here. And Jesus is basically saying, I know what you need. I could give you the living water. Already, Jesus shifted to the spiritual context and eternal needs. She's stuck with temporal and physical needs. So are we at times. In other words, come to Jesus. He will give you rest and he will forgive you. And he will give you peace and he will give you love. Uh, what I really need is this bill to pay. What I need is this sickness to go away in my child. What I need really is my marriage to go, go well. Can't you fix that? Stop talking about forgiveness. Stop talking about eternal life. In the same way, I mean, very similar way, we could be like Samaritan woman. So Jesus is talking in one level and she's talking on the other level. And John seems to do that intentionally Always remember even John chapter 1, we talked about Jesus being the light, and the physical light at the same time, spiritual light. 
And I think we need to really pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Hear the words of Jesus. The water I will give you will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Did you get that? In this instantaneous world, we want instant quick fix. Okay, I'll believe in Jesus and my life is not whole. Won't you make me whole? I should never be thirst again, right? But I feel broken all the time. And Jesus is saying, this water that I will give you become in you a spring of water welling up. He refers to literally, in other, John chapter 7 actually says, refer to the Holy Spirit. In this text, generally welling up to eternal life. The word of Christ living in us. In other words, we have a fountain in us that we could draw from. Instead of looking for other things, other person to fill it, we should look to the spring of water welling up in our hearts. If we are truly believers in Christ, we do have an indwelling Holy Spirit. We do have a teaching, the eternal word of Christ within us and in front of us. The question is, are you drawing your, your spring of water to quench your thirst today or are you reaching for broken cisterns again? I think the the important the truth that we ought to embrace and if we really come to Jesus with pure childlike heart to believe this. Yes, in one sense, we could say, Jesus, you are my true satisfaction. You are my all in all. Because he is. But in this context, he's saying, he's giving us living water. Thank you for giving me that eternal source of satisfaction. Help me live out this life. In John chapter 7, 37 to 38, Jesus puts it this way. On the last day of the feast, The great day Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. During the awake weekend, uh, Alan Fadling and Jem Fadling also said, The rest is not easy. In in our physical realm, again, the temporal side of needs, the rest of just doing nothing. I make that mistake all the time. To, oh, today is my Sabbath, or you know, Monday is day off. 
I will not do anything. Veg out. Have you ever feel rested after six hours of Netflix or K-drama? You feel dizzy and, you, you know, you slept more than 12 hours. But when do you feel rested? During my personal retreat, when I connected with God and God spoke clearly to me about my next step, about my, about my need, and when I heard, my soul responded, and that became a strength, a vitality. Nothing changed in, in, in front of me. And as I come home, I felt ready to face. Oh, there was another big spiritual battle waiting for me in front of me. Is Jesus source of our living water and true satisfaction? Do you believe that? Do you draw from him or do you reach out to something? We as a Christians, at least the people who are pursuing Christians and recovering people, will not reach out to illegitimate, illegitimate ways or either sexual affairs or a Samaritan woman did or, or drugs or alcohols or different kinds of things. But we do reach out to the broken systems. Whatever the, whatever the thing that you instantaneously feel immediate gratification. And because of that, I think third lesson is as important as the second lesson. Jesus, knowing the cause of our brokenness, disturbs our conscience and satisfy our soul. Always in that order. But we want to be satisfied first, right? And notice, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, when she's not getting the spiritual lessons, she's still under temporal obsessions. Jesus said, all of a sudden, go, call your husband and bring him here. And she confesses correctly, I don't have any husband. And when Jesus revealed that you're right, because you've been married five times, and the one who's living with you, you, you guys are not married. He, he's not your husband. Before we write her out off as someone who's not like me because we've never been married five times. Oh, I, I, I'm not really into that sex kind of stuff. She's might be a, she might be a sex addict. You know, I think the close-up of even in, in our imagination why people do what they do in their brokenness we see our own brokenness in that also too. Maybe she is just like me and you who's looking for satisfaction in this broken system, one man, 
Oh, this man seems to be nice. He's very quiet and very few words. Uh, he seems to understand everything I said because, you know, he's strong, silent type. And all of a sudden, having married with him and all kinds of hell break through and the dark side of him comes out. Maybe he's an angry person. Maybe he's an abusive person. So move on to another person. Unlike him, this person is very smart, very communicative. But he finds out, she finds out, oh, this romance is fail also too because he's manipulative. And third marriage, hope is that maybe this man will love me just as I am. But he has own brokenness from childhood wounds who doesn't trust anyone, who doesn't let anyone to come into his own heart close enough, pushes away to the fourth person and fifth person. Now, I don't believe in marriage anymore. I just live this guy for safety and protection, maybe some financial stability. Well, there are so many people in, in, in this world, in this day, like that. He disturbs her conscience, helping her to look at her sin, stare at sin very gently, compassionately. He doesn't dwell upon it when she diverts to it, diverts from it. That diagnosis was required before the prescription of quenching the soul, the cure for her thirsty soul. Woman, what you really need, what you are really looking for, you think that you could find in this romantic relationship. And, and this is human things. But you have a God-shaped vacuum that God can unfill. But you do not seek God. We, we don't seek God either in that sense. You're broken in our brokenness, even if we're aware of our deep needs, the reaction is drifting away from God. That's the fallen nature. No one seeks God in the true sense. We seek all kind of different kinds of broken systems. And he, she finally comes back to the real issue. She takes about, talks about Messiah coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. This is an incredible thing just happening in front of her. Verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In other words, I am the one you've been looking for. I am the Messiah. He's never done that to the Jewish people. He's never done that with these all these religious group of people. But to, to this broken woman, How about you? Do you come?
to Jesus with your brokenness? Or do you try to get rid of brokenness before you come to Jesus? Of course, our church gathering is not Jesus himself. But Jesus dwells in the center of our fellowship. Do you clean up after yourself to get involved? To serve? To belong in our Crossway family? In our home groups and men's groups and women's groups? Do you find a way that I need to feel my knees first? The hole that I the more important things. And I think more than anything, the heartbeat of today's text that we need to grab is that Jesus, you are all I have. There is no other true satisfaction, Lord. I've been disappointed over and over. The wisdom is that having not dump, dump yourself into the trash can and finding the wisdom to not, the, not go back to the dirt, not go back to the trash, but go to Jesus. And once again, when I say trash can or dump, that doesn't mean always an illegitimate thing, but it could be a very nicely covered up way of finding my own self-recognition, my own uh, self-praise by others, high esteem among peers. When I was growing up, and, uh, when I was a teenager, this used to be a, a gospel song. When I learned the song and, and that kind of connected with the gospel of John, chapter 4, the Samaritan story, this song became such a close to my heart. I remember singing it with such a intimacy in my heart. And I was reminded by that as I was meditating on it. I was looking for the lyrics and then classic hymn. It became classic hymn from gospel song. And written by Richard Blanchard. Um, Fill my cup, Lord. Like the woman at the well I was seeking. For things that could not satisfy. And then I heard my Savior speaking. Drove from the well that never shall run dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven. Feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up. And make me whole. I know some of you guys are hearing the melody in your head. Right? This should be our heart today. I think in some sense, um, staying awake is vigilant and, and preparing ourselves for the journey shouldn't be just very strict, some kind of a hard workout we have to do and we dread ourselves into. 
But maybe today's passage is giving us a different picture. The best way to prepare ourselves. Well, let me put it this way. The best way to contribute to the community of Crossway Church is that you get your fill from Lord Jesus every day and your soul is satisfied, quenched, and well watered in your garden of a heart. I'm speaking to, preaching to myself. And fourth and last lesson is this. Jesus is the Messiah who leads us to be true worshipers. Um, Verse 21. Jesus is responding to her distraction when she was confronted about her failed marriage and having this man living with her, when her conscience was exposed, she diverted the topic, main focus, to the controversy, and saying, uh, you Jews think that we have to worship God in Jerusalem, but our forefathers, we belong to Jacob, and we actually think that Mount Jerusalem, in other words, Samaria is the center. There is the right worship right here. And Jesus is responding to her gently without correcting her. I mean, without rebuking about her distraction. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not you worship what you do not know we worship what we know for salvation is from the jews but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in truth spirit and truth and for the father is seeking such people to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must Worship in, worship in spirit and truth. Verse 24. Well, verse 23 and verse 24 is most often quoted. Um, you know, out of context. And it, it's not so bad to even understand that way. And I, I really think I was much helped by D.A. Carlson, uh, who's a New Testament theologian and expounded on his uh, commentary and the contextual meaning of that. So most of the times when we say worship in spirit and truth, we take it as sincerity. Uh, You need to have very sincere heart in worshiping the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. But contextually, what Jesus is getting at is the worship in Mount Jerusalem or, or Jerusalem is now absolute because Jesus has come himself. The Messiah has come himself. Why? 
Jesus himself is the temple of God. His body destroyed my body, he said that. And verse 24, he's referring to why? Because God is spirit. The nature of God is invisible. He's not contained in a place. So you don't have to go to a certain place to have a correct worship at all. What is the truth? Grace and truth referring to Jesus himself. As a new covenant came, that he's referring to himself as the truth that came from the Lord, from God. In other words, the truth about true God, the right view of God. The spirit is how we worship. It's not place. It's not external things. It's within the inner heart, deep in our spirit, because God is spirit. Obviously, the Holy Spirit helps us to, to connect with him. But truth in the word of God, not in our emotions, mere emotions and touched up experiential things. So that's why the word of God is so important in our worship. And I think it's extra helpful because when we think of a worship as a sincere worship, is how much is really sincere? Who assesses? Who evaluates? And we could come away having good, noble intention, but end up being man-centered. How was the worship? Oh, it was great, because I felt great. It's like a, the, you go to worship and they had a bad worship. It's like a bad hair day, and you come out, oh, that was not really bad, good, right worship. The music was not right, or is it too much hymns or too much contemporary songs or too much up and, up and down, standing up? This is eschatological statement that Jesus is making. No longer Jewish temple is needed. And the, the place that we meet here is a building. It's not a temple. So we could, in a sense, whether Yoba Middle School or Olive Crest Building, the place is obsolete. As long as we worship in spirit and based on the truth of the word of God. And having said that, I think John Piper... Uh, puts this together really well. And some of you guys re will remember this if you paid attention to our worship series, Gravity and Gladness, the video series that we went through in our home groups. Piper writes, the two words, spirit and truth, correspond to the how and the whom of worship. Worshiping in truth I mean, I'm sorry. Worshipping in spirit is the opposite of worshipping in mere external ways. It's the opposite of formalism and traditionalism. Worshipping in truth is the opposite of worship based on 
an inadequate view of God. Together words, spirit and truth mean that real worship comes from the spirit within and is based on true views of God. So now we can complete the analogy. The fuel of worship is the grand truth of a gracious and sovereign God. The fire that makes the fuel burn white, hot, is the quickening of the Holy Spirit. The furnace made alive and warmed by the flame of truth is our renewed spirit. And the resulting heat of our affections is worship, pushing its way out in tears, in confessions, prayers, praises, acclamations, lifting of hands, bowing low, and obedient lives. We will continue the rest of the story next Sunday in our previous service. In a way that it, it's a, in, in terms of her story, it, 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 the climax is coming, we're just stopping right here. So I hope you read ahead and meditate on it. But let me close with this thought. There are so many good things in this world. And they are not necessarily bad things. Of course, you should stay away from criminal activities, <laughs> you know, road rage, alcoholism. Drug addiction, sex addiction, of course, all those are, we know, as dangerous things. But the good things are the enemy of the best thing. Because of good things, we miss the best things. In today's language, terminology, because of temporary quickening of the th quenching of the thirst we miss the quenching of the thirst in our souls as an ongoing well of spring water our children are good things our marriage and family are such a wonderful beautiful thing but that should not substitute what Jesus gives us. They will and is, they are broken systems. Who, that broken system, the picture of that is that water is leaking. Do you drink from Jesus? Or do you drink from like Ocean salty water it makes you feel immediately some gratification, but it will make you thirsty again. It will mess up your soul again. May we confess Jesus is most treasured joy in our church. Jesus is most treasured, treasured joy in our family, in my life. You satisfy us 
You are true affection to us. That is what it means to be a Jesus follower. And I pray for you and me that we will live that out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've been wandering for looking for water that will never quench our thirst forever. And we come to you in our repentance and draw from the well that you give us. We look to the scripture and your word and truth again. And we forego our externalism of religiosity. In spirit, we come to you in our inner heart that we want to treasure you. Satisfy us. And turn our eyes away from those broken systems in our lives. We thank you for your promise that the water that you give us will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And day by day, we will draw from this well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.